listening to Habs Culture, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Habs Culture and on Twitter at Habs underscore culture to stay on track with news and updates. Episode 58 of the Habs Culture podcast. My name is Justin Schwartz and I'm alongside Liam Baum. And as of right now, the NHL offseason has kind of come to a little bit of a halt. Um, We talked a little bit last episode about free agent signings. Um, Interesting news in that department. We obviously covered the draft, but now things are starting to slow down a little bit. And this is kind of where it sucks to be a hockey fan, but you know, you got to find things to talk about. And that's what we're here to do today. Um, The Montreal Canadiens are still a really interesting team to discuss, considering that they've had two really bad seasons back to back, one finishing dead last one finishing fifth to last. They've drafted some elite level prospects in the eyes of some. And now they're in a position where they're going into a season where they have a few key building blocks. And they're going to have to build off of these, off of these bad seasons. So what we thought we'd do here today is probably go over some line combinations, talk about a few individual players And then we'll wrap it up with kind of a rapid fire segment of over under for certain players. But right off the top, Liam, I'll throw it on to you. Alec New Alec Alex Newhook signs his contract with the Montreal Canadiens for four years at two point nine million a year. So right now he's currently twenty two. He will be signed till he's twenty six. He will still be an RFA at the time. He signs a very similar contract to uh, Kirby Doc when he signed with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, very similar you know, situation in terms of trade and then sign. What are your thoughts on that contract? How do you think Newhook makes an impact on this lineup? What's his ceiling? What's his floor for next season? Your thoughts? Initial reaction, I, I honestly think that's the perfect deal right now. Four years is actually double what I thought he was going to get. I thought he was going to get two. But I'm so happy he got four because it gives him a lot of time to prove himself. And maybe in two, three years, this contract's going to look like absolute gold if he's putting up, you know, 50, 60, 60 plus points. So I think I think it's uh, honestly amazing. Next season, I think uh, he'll slot in on the second line. Who knows if that's playing at wing or center. But overall, very satisfied with the contract. Ken Hughes did his thing. What about you? Yeah, look, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of it as well. I think it's hard not to be considering what, you know, let's let's backtrack a little bit, right? We look at Kirby Doc last year and a lot of people are freaking out about how his, you know, season high total doesn't, you know, doesn't surpass the 35 point mark. Now we're in a spot where he had 35, 38 points, excuse me, in 58 games, which was he definitely performed at a, at a better level than he ever had in his NHL career. Now no one's really talking about an overpay of a contract that just just north of three million dollars a year. So Newhook's in a position to bounce back off of you know low level deployment in Colorado on a team that's going to probably use him a lot more in key situations under Martin Saint Louis. He's going to probably improve off of his season high of thirty points and fifteen goals. And look, we'll talk about his over-under later, but I think it makes a lot of sense from a GM perspective to go out and make this deal, considering you're still banking on a young player at 22 years old. There's a lot left in the tank. And if this pans out, you're looking at a, at, you're looking at a great spot. 
And the truth is, and I think we can both agree on this, is that the paying price to get Alex Newhook wasn't cheap. You're looking at a first round, you were looking at a first round pick at 31st overall and 37th overall in this year's draft, which could have been some top end talent considering guys like Andrew Cristal um, ended up dropping to the second round. But nonetheless, I think Newhook, you're, you're getting a guy that knows how to win a cup. He's won a cup before. You're getting a guy that knows how to play the game and you're getting a guy that was surrounded by a lot of elite level talent. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I think I like the, the pick a lot. I'm going to shoot this on to you again. And I don't want to go into the over-under challenge here, but at, at the wor- in, the worst, in the worst case, worst possible case for Alex Newhook next year, what do you see his season looking like? Because it's always easy to, you know, as Habs fans, to be incredibly optimistic. But what's, you know, what's a pessimistic view on his situation next year? Is he, is he a third-line guy? Is he a, you know, is he a, a, a static 30-point guy? Is, can he go below that? Like, what are your thoughts there? I guess at worst at his floor, I think it's probably 30 points and plays third line time. But then again, he's only 22 years old. He's still got so much more time to grow. This is a contract where he's supposed to grow and become a better player. So I think it'll be hard to judge based off just one season. But I think he's going to get the time and the sufficient ice time to prove himself. And yeah, at worst, I think it's a third line 30 point player, which isn't terrible as a 22-year-old. But uh, yeah, that's just what I think he uh, at worst could be. Yeah, I can agree there. And speaking of li- speaking of lines and minutes, um, I think we should jump right away into you know our, our line projections, I guess you can say. And this is going to be a lot off the top of our heads, um, seeing seeing what we... You know, the thing is that the truth of the matter is that the, the, the Montreal Canadiens have a major logjam at forward. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a ton of top-end talent, but they do have a logjam. There's a lot going on. Um, so, you know, a lot of people speculated that Dvorak would have been moved before his uh, his no-move, or not his full no-move, but his, you know, his 10-team, if I'm not mistaken, no-move kicked in but on July 1st. That didn't happen. Mike Hoffman is still a part of this organization. Josh Anderson, although there was speculation that he might get traded in the Dubois trade, is still a Montreal Canadian. Now, Nonetheless, I think that, I, you know, for the most part, I, I like most of these players, but what's going to happen when the Montreal Canadiens need to develop those young forwards like Kirby Doc and Newhook and, you know, some of those other guys in the pipeline like Joshua, for example. But let's get into the lines. Let's see. Let's speculate what we got going on here. Do you want to do you want to start us off with that first line? Yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. Uh, first line. Personally, I've got Caulfield, Suzuki and either Hoffman or Anderson. I'll, I'll go with uh, Anderson for now. Okay, that's interesting. I I think I have a similar a similar stab at this. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to start this off with Suzuki, Caulfield and Doc. And the truth is that as as much as they were split up at one point last season, I think that's something that, you know, a lot of teams like to start off the season with a with a very strong punch with that with their top guys, and I think it would make a lot of sense considering that they did have success in the past. Now I could see Doc being replaced with Anderson like you mentioned, um but I think to start the season, I can see Doc slotting in on that right wing. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, my one thing about that is just I don't think they're going to have all of them together because they're all going to play together on the first power play. So maybe splitting them up is a good idea for that. But I don't. they did play together last season, if I'm correct, right? Right. At some point. And they, they, and they did do very well. So I wouldn't be surprised. And look, they did do well. It slowed down at one point. The one thing that I'll say to your point to agree with you is that you know, we're talking about Kirby Doc playing on the wing here, right? 
Kirby Doc is a phenomenal centerman, and he proved that last year. The, the way he slows down the game, his decision-making is incredible, his board play is incredible, and that's what he does at the center position. He's a guy that drives play, but he's not driving play with his, you know, with his Nathan McKinnon style. He's driving play because he slows the game, the game down with his smarts, with his hockey IQ. So playing him at center with another guy in Nick Suzuki at center, who, sorry, playing them separately, one at C1 and one at C2, makes a lot of sense considering that you're really, you know, you're doing your due diligence by balancing your lines properly. So I can definitely see a world where Kirby Doc doesn't start on that first line. But again, this is all speculation and we're just having fun with it. Um, line two, did you want to, did you want to go from there? Yeah, sure. I got uh new hook on the left, Dak at center. And because I said Anderson on the first line last time, I'm going to put Mike Hoffman here on the right side. Okay. Yeah, I, I could see that making sense. Um, again, you know, I think Newhook will take. I think Newhook will step into that spot immediately, not even as a sediment, right on the left. Now, I think it would be really, really interesting to see him with Doc. You're looking at a a guy in Newhook who's, you know, he's got the speed. He's a smart player. He, he, you know, like he's very he's shifty, if you will. He's sneaky, um, and I think that complements Doc very nicely. So I do like that there. Look, and the Hoffman thing bothers me. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll come out and say it right away. It bothers me. It, look, it's a tough contract to move considering his contract expires at the end of next year or at the next end of next season. But I think Kent Hughes, and, and maybe he did, but I think that there had to be a little bit more of an effort to move him considering that, like I said, there is a logjam. You need to get these guys a little bit more playing time. And, you know, look, and I'm not saying that and I'm going to be in agree with, agreement with you here, but we've gone through two lines, basically, and Uri Slavkovsky is not slotted into the top six. Yeah. So, and is that because a guy like Hoffman is there? Maybe not entirely, but it definitely doesn't help his case. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just jump in. I 100% think it's because Hoffman's there. If Hoffman's not there, I have Slavkovsky. I just think Hoffman is getting that money, and we got to use him. He's a, I don't think he's a bottom six forward. He's a top six forward, and he needs to be in a role where he's getting the puck a lot and shooting. Not that much else. So, yeah, uh, I'll. I'm just gonna agree with that and say yes. If Slavkovsky or if Hoffman's not there, Slavkovsky's on that line. Fair enough. I think. I think. Look, Hoffman is a. It, I think we'll call him at this point in his uh, in his career, and he's always been. He's always been a great complimentary player. But I think at this point, he's just a complimentary player. I think on the on you know he had a spurt with with the Canadians last year he, where he was putting up some incredible numbers. You know, people thought Montreal was was gonna move him. It was the perfect time. That didn't work out, obviously. Um, look, I think he knows how to score. He knows how to score. I think he's more of a I think he's more of a middle six guy at this point in his career. But nonetheless, he's a great guy to have on your wing when you need some goals. So whether it's on that second line or third line, there's still you know there's still a spot for him, I guess you can say. But it's a question of you know when when his time is up, who's taking that next step and who's ta- who's you know assuming that role um, for that second line because I had um, Doc on that first line. I'm going to go out and put I'll put Newhook on the left, Dvorak at center, and Josh Anderson on the right. Now, the Dvorak conversation is another conversation in itself. I don't know how comfortable I feel putting him at 2 and something wants wants me to move Doc and and Anderson a little bit, put Doc back at center, but for the fun of it, we'll keep it as it is. Look, Dvorak's an interesting player considering that, you know, he's always been very solid. He hasn't done anything incredible with Montreal. He's been solid. 
Um, but look, I think again, you're talking about a, a big center who slows down the game with new hook on the left. It doesn't hurt with a big play driving power forward in Josh Anderson on the right. You're, you're shaping up for a, a, a decent line there. So we'll see how, again, if that were to come true, we'll see how that works out. Um, but yeah, that's what I have for right now. All right. For the third line, I've got Slavkovsky on the left side, Monahan, Monahan at center, and Gallagher on the right. I don't think you could have said that any better. I was going to go with the exact same thing. So you want to give me your thoughts on how that line works? Yeah, why? Uh, honestly, I don't really like Slavkovsky on the third line. I, I think we need him in a top six role. But again, with the log jam at, at forward, it's just hard to place him anywhere else. And we kind of want him playing in his correct position. So got to put him somewhere. And I guess that's on the third line, at least to start the season. We'll see how it progresses throughout the year. Um, I'm a huge Sean Monaghan fan. I think he was very, very good uh, last season before he got injured. He had like 19 points in 20-something games. I think he's the perfect third-line center. I'd be very happy to have him back in the future. He just provides a, a veteran presence, and he still has that offensive touch, I believe. So uh, I'm very happy slotting him in there at the third-line center. And then Brennan Gallagher, who still has that chippiness in him, that goal-scoring ability, even though he didn't really have it last season. He's a proven 30-goal scorer, even though he, he probably won't ever touch that again. But he just has that third-line grit and ability to put up some points. So I think he's just a perfect third-line right-winger right there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The, the one thing that I think is interesting to note here, and look, like let's say, let's say we, we bring... Let's say we keep Caulfield, Suzuki, Doc on the first line. I know that's not what you had, but let's just say for experiment purposes right now. What are your thoughts about a line, and maybe it's too young and maybe it's too unproven, but a line of, second line, sorry, of Slavkovsky on the left, Newhook down the middle, and Josh Anderson on the right. What are your thoughts on that? Like, is is that something that's out of the realm of possibility? Do you think, do you think that that can potentially work? Do you think Slavkovsky gets those minutes right away? Like, I'm not sure either. Yeah, it's definitely hard to say. Maybe that's how it turns out. Who knows if Dak will be playing center? Who knows if Newhook will be playing center? But we'll see. I don't. I definitely don't think it's impossible. Anything's possible in terms of these lines. But I think we'll see Slavkovsky move up the lines throughout the year just because we need him to develop. And just based on how we want him to be in the future, he's got to be in a top six role. So I don't think that's uh, impossible at all. Very. Uh, I think it's realistic and could definitely happen. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I agreed with you on that third line. We're kind of going right through it, and the truth is, is that these lines could be, are going to be, you know, mishmashed in every which way, probably throughout 82 games. Like, there's not going to be a combination that sticks together more than 30% of the time, which is crazy to say, but the tr that's the truth when you're dealing with a team like the Montreal Canadiens, you know, who or any bottom-tier team that is trying to figure it out. Um, but we'll fast forward to the fourth line here. And I guess this, there's not much, you know, you, you still have a guy like Jake Evans down the middle who you're obviously keeping around because I think that he brings something to the table. That's very not rare, but I think it's, you, you, he's, he's a good guy to have. Um, jo Joel Armia as well. Yeah. There, I've still got a couple guys that I think could be in the top nine, like Dvorak, uh, Harvey Pinard, right. Armia, um, Evans, obviously, and guys like Yessi Lonen, who showed great flashes in the AHL last season, 
who knows what's going to happen with him. It's just, it's a complete log gem. Pizzetta as well for the fourth line. Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you a combination that's going to stay on the fourth line, but I think Dvorak obviously needs to be on the team somewhere, so I guess I got to slot him in there. Uh, Harvey Pinard, I think he'll make the team out of the gate. And then I guess Jake Evans has to be on that fourth line, but I think he's more of a center than a winger. So mm-hmm. who knows what's going to happen? I think we definitely have to move some contracts, and we also have some salary caps. So who knows? Who, who knows what, the, what could happen? What do you think? Yeah, well, you know what? I, what I'm thinking right now is the fact that I, throughout nine, nine forwards, I do not have Mike Hoffman in my top nine. And I, and I did allude to before how I think he's a good middle six guy. He's a guy that you want. But in the Montreal Canadian situation, he's not a guy you want on your team. And I know that you put him on that second line. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't be there based on his abilities. I think that based on the situation that the Montreal Canadiens are dealing with in terms of age, in terms of where they want to go, he shouldn't be in that in that middle six. So I'm going to call him a day one scratch. That, now, that's completely fair. I don't know if that's even in the realm of possibility. You know, people were, were talking about the potential of a buyout for Mike Hoffman. But, you know, I think that would have happened already, realistically speaking, considering all the buyouts that happened near the July 1st um, free agency. But I think that he'll probably end up being a scratch. Because, again, like you talked about, Harvey Pinard, like I'm looking at Cat Friendly, uh, sorry, Daily Faceoff right now. Harvey Pinard's not in the lineup. But you still need to get J- Jake Evans in there. UL Armia, Mike Pizzetta. Like these are guys that deserve a spot. And I'm not saying that Mike Hoffman doesn't deserve a spot, but like I said, with where they're going, they do deserve a spot and he doesn't. So I'm going to kind of go with the same combination as you on that fourth line. Now, because I had Dvorak on the second line and Doc playing wing on the first, it's a little bit easier for me, I guess. But Evans at center, Harvey Pinard probably on the left and Armia on the right interchangeably doesn't really matter but i think harvey pennard has to get in the lineup you just signed him to a bridge deal at 1.1 million dollars a year this guy just scored 15 goals if i'm not mistaken yeah around that there's definitely he's definitely a guy like gallagher with a pep in, in with pep in his step like he's 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 out to prove something and i rather that guy in my lineup than mike hoffman at this point in their respective careers so yeah i just i just want to mention something quickly we can potentially be scratching four and a half million of Mike Hoffman. And how much does Armia make? Four million? Uh, just south. I'll uh, get that. Out. It's, I think if I, it's uh, 3.4. That's potentially around $8 million of cap that's sitting in your press box, eating hot dogs like Phil Kessel during the finals. I, it, it's just, it amazes me how many contracts we've handed out to forwards in the past few years. And how much dead cap it is, basically. It's basically like Minnesota buying out Parisi and Suter. It's doing the same thing. So imagine we had that $8 million, along with our $8 million that's sitting in our cap space right now. You can go out and get an 80-plus point player right there. So after the season, we got to make some real decisions and some good decisions with the money. Well, look, and... I, and- Look, Hoffman, Hoffman at four and a half is expiring after this season. Armia is still under contract through 2024, 2025 for 3.4. Dvorak is still under contract for 4.45 through the 2024, 2025 season. Like these are contracts that, and again, Dvorak less than the others, in my opinion, considering what Dvorak, I guess, brings to the table. But Hoffman's a contract you 
you desperately need out. And that's why I think that they're not going to be so shy to, to, to sit him in the press box and say, Hey, we'll take, we'll take the, the blame. We'll take the, the loss, I guess, and, and have you sit there, but we're not going to, you know, ruin the development of our young core just for you to get another subpar season under your belt at 33 years old. Like we don't, we don't care enough for that. And I hope that's the route that they take. Now it's a lot easier said than done with your G when you're a GM, right? Like you're, you're, you're handling four and a half million dollars. You gave it to this guy and it wasn't him, but you gave, he was given this money. You're not going to, you're not going to make, let the guy play zero games. He's going to get into the lineup. There's no doubt, but it's a question of when and why, and is it worth it? So we'll keep it at that. And let's not forget also, um, Rem Pitlick as well. Yep. At one more year at 1.1 million, exact same contract that Harvey Pennard was given this season. Like he's 26 years old. Is he going to slot in on that fourth line? Like you want to get these guys in your lineup. For now, sure. it's not a question of is, is Rem Pitlick going to turn into a, you know, a 40, 50 point player. We know he won't, but a 26 year old to have in your bottom six at this point in the Montreal Canadiens development is not a bad thing to have. No, not at all. But I just think we need to be playing the the most potential I, I don't know what the right word there is but the guys with the highest potential in their correct spots and not playing guys like Hoffman in the top six and maybe even Anderson I, I don't know Anderson plays a different type of role maybe more of a third line role as well as Gallagher so I all, all that to say is that we might have the most expensive third and fourth lines in the NHL unfortunately right <laughs> yeah Unfo- and, and look as a from a situation perspective, the Montreal Canadiens are able to take on, take that on right now because they're not in a place to win. But once once the time comes where they want to be competitive, and again, there's no doubt Mike Hoffman isn't returning to the Montreal Canadiens after next season. Yoel Armia will see, but it's going to be have to be at. Inc- I, I don't think so. Let's let's be real. He's 30 years old. I don't think he'll be with the Montreal Canadiens. But they're going to have to make some serious some serious moves, I guess you can say, to 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 really solidify like. Who do we want here? Because like we said, we mentioned five or six guys in that bottom six that might be in and out of the lineup every single game. So look, you want to get a guy like Evans in your lineup. You want to get a guy like Harvey Pinard in your lineup. But but does Hoffman deserve a game? Does Yoel Armia deserve a game? Like it's just it you don't want to have that question. That's that's what I'm trying to say. You don't you want Harvey Pinard to play 82 games if he's capable, and you want Jake Evans to play 82 games if he's capable, right? You don't want to give Hoffman 30 games mm-hmm. if you don't have to. The thing is, I just believe that some of these guys could be useful on other teams. Of course maybe they can. At, maybe at a discount. So I just don't understand why GMs don't go after these type of guys and ask for the Canadians to retain. Maybe because Ken Hughes isn't really looking to retain a contract. But I feel like a guy like Armia can be really good on a fourth line somewhere because he just he's that big body and he can score goals from time to time. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's some value that we can return, we can get in return, but we're just sitting them in the press box for half the season. Well, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of ret- uh, in terms of contracts that they can retain, I don't know if they can retain any more because they're already retaining on the Edmondson contract right now, and I think that they're retaining on a couple more, and I think the max is three. So I don't know if they're able to, but nonetheless, your point still stands. And well, why do why don't they move Hoffman with one year left to a team that? you know, needs that middle six scoring, kind of like a Dadanov, but not on steroids, but an upgraded version of a Dadanov, mm-hmm. right? So look, I think that I think that there's no doubt that Hoffman will try to be moved at the deadline. Teams that are contending will take on his cap. But I guess right now it's tough for some of the contending teams to 
you know, go out and get Hoffman at four and a half million dollars when there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of, you know, where, what, what direction teams are heading in for next season. So I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But I think, I think it's an interesting conversation considering that this team is trying to move in a certain area and there's a couple, you know, roadblocks, but that's going to be up for Kent Hughes and his brass to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to compare him, uh, Mike Hoffman to Drouin, but I feel like it's a similar case where if you place him with the right players, he's going to produce at some point. Of course. Because he's shown that he can. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Jerome's really shown that he can, other than maybe that first season in Tampa. But I feel like Hoffman on a contender playing with a top player, he's going to put the puck in the net. It's just a curse in Montreal that no previous good goal scorer can score goals. So that's just my opinion, that he can he can produce somewhere if he's playing with the right players. The problem is that the Montreal Canadiens tend to sign guys like a Mike Hoffman when it's just too late, you know? Yeah. Like, we went out and acquired Thomas Vanek in 2014 or 2016. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 2016. And, look, he, you know, he didn't show up here and there. And it's, well, people are asking the question, well, why? It's because his prime was five years ago. And when yeah. he was scoring 30 goals, it, it, you know, there's a reason that you have him at a discount, right? So, or you acquired him for a discount. Uh, look, it's just it's just the reality, and hopefully that 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 flip gets switched at some point in time. Um, maybe but yeah, the, maybe the new hook deal is uh... maybe that maybe the new hook deal, and maybe Doc, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about maybe we'll talk about that later. But Doc maybe becomes a a sixty point guy next season, and you know, it's look. There's a lot of promise with this team, but there's also a few things to to iron out or a few wrinkles to iron out before uh, before things get get rolling again. Yeah. Should we uh, move on to the defenseman lines? Yeah. And speaking of logjam, I mean, I won't call it a logjam, but there's going to be a problem. <laughs> there's Eventually, inevitably yes. a problem with this with this top six. And the truth is that we'll start it off with the top guy, but I think it's I think it has to do with Matheson. And it's not because he's a bad player. It's actually, on the contrary, it's because he performed incredibly well last season and he's looking to build off that. And, you know... We'll talk about some of the other guys later. We talked about the, you know, the drafting of David Reinbacher. We talked about Lane Hudson and what he's supposed to be. Logan Mayu, obviously a few question marks there, but he's looking like an incredible player. You have Adam Engstrom who might slot in at some point. That's four guys on top of your young core that include Harris Gooley and Jackeye and Matheson. Yeah, there's just there's just so many guys there. It's it's way too hard to just put it into six slots, but yeah, I'll just start it off right now. First line, I don't think there's any doubt that it's going to be Matheson and Savard just because they're the vets and they're just going to play the top minutes even though maybe they're not the top minute type of defenseman on a contender. But that's just how it is on the Canadians, and I think that'll be our first defenseman pairing. I have to agree there. I mean, I don't think that there's much... I don't think... Look, I don't think that there's much speculation. I think the only speculation could be, well... If Logan Mayu is cleared to play by the NHL, does and and he's good enough and and look through Dev Camp, there's been so many question marks in terms of well, like you know, is he defensively responsible enough? His offense is clearly there, but is he making the right reads? Da 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 da. Is he a guy that can slot in to this top six now? And I think that's the only thing that's going to change this top six this year. My guess is probably not. Um, so if it stays the same, then I would take Matheson and Savard. But you know. As of right now, it's very, very basic. There's no reason to to mix up that pair. Savard, just to check it out so I don't make a mistake, Savard has two more years left at three and a half. He's 32 years old. 
once that contract expires, I think we can both agree that he'll be out the door um, because that right side is not really in need of a guy of a 34 year old at that point. Um, so yeah, but I think, I think for right now we'll keep Matheson and Savar together. Yep. Uh, second D pairing, I got Gooley and I guess Jordan Harris. I don't know if he can play the right side. If he can't play the right side, I'm going to put Kovacevic, but yeah, I love Gooley. You're saying for Gooley on the right side? No, Gooley on the left and Harris on the right. I don't know if, I don't know if they play either side and I don't really know, but yeah, if, if they play together, I think. Gouli and Harris, and then if one of them can't play, or if Harris can't play the right side, it'll be Kovacevic. Right. Um, yeah, as I was saying, I love Gouli. I think he showed amazing strides last season. So fun to watch. Every time I went to a game, he was just so noticeable. Moves the puck so well, skates so well. Uh, he's going to develop into something really good, I think. So. Yeah, yep. I can agree with that. I think I'll take Harris on the left and Gouli on the right. I think Gouli is obviously a little bit more comfortable at this point in time as an NHL-ready defenseman. And nothing against Harris, but Harris is incredibly poised and and knows knows what's up. Um, I just think Gouli, like, he looked like a vet last year. He looked like a vet when he was healthy. And I think that that's what's separated him from the other guys in that young in that young core. So I'll take Gouli on the right. And the one thing that I want to notice is that, like, even on... And again, it's it's a massive question mark, but on daily faceoff, right? Like we don't have Justin Barron there right now. Mm-hmm. And he's a right shot D. You know, we'll get to the third pairing, but does he take Kovacevic's spot? And if he take Kovacevic's spot, is that D core or is that bottom four too young, right? Like it, it's it's tough right now. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to say right now. And there's obviously going to be injuries. So guys are coming in and out of the lineup. But yeah, for my third D pairing, I've got Jack Eye and Barron. Okay. So yeah, if my my first prediction would be Harris and Gooley on the second line, and Kovacevic doesn't make it into the lineup, and Jacki and Baron would be your third pairing. Okay. I think I'm gonna stick. I'm, I think what's gonna happen here for me is I'm gonna stick with Jacki on the left and Kovacevic on the right. Now it's pretty mainstream, but I think the truth is is that I think the Montreal Canadiens like what they saw from Kovacevic. I think he played a very strong game. He's not an old guy. He he definitely like adjusted to the pace very well. Um, I think it's going to really depend. And look, that can change easily. I think it's going to really depend on uh, when it comes down to um, to camp. Um, you know, closer closer to the start of the season, is Justin Barron going to impress? Is he going to make strides? How are the preseason games going to look for him? What did he do in the offseason to improve his game? And, to, and, and he looked good when he was in the lineup at the end of the season. But obviously, he was a little bit up and down here and there. So I think it's going to really depend on, you know, those August and September months. But um, for right now, I think Kovacevic, I won't say has solidified a spot, but I think he's, I think for right now, he's comfortable. I think he's comfortable. I think. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And just one funny thing, our fourth line might potentially could be making more than our whole decor combined. Yeah, considering how young that decor is, right? Yeah. So, Gooley's still on an entry level. Jacka's still on an entry level. Yeah, we got Matheson and Savard combined are making like eight. 0.5 or something like that. Matheson's at 4.875 and Savard's at 3.5. Harris at 1.4. Barron at 9.25. Gouli at 8.63. And Kovacevic yeah. at, at league minimum, I believe. So combined, it's like 12 to 14 million. I don't know what the calculation is there. So, And I think, and sorry to cut you off, I think yeah. Weidman will probably still be around for his one year left. And look, he's a good locker room guy. I just... Again, I think he's one of those guys where you can't give him the minutes considering you have such a young decor and need these guys to develop, right? Yeah. So, like, 
if he gets a game here and there because someone's injured, fine. But other than that, on the right side, you can't really mess with that. No, he, he won't be in the lineup too often, I don't think. I think Gooley's really... Actually, who do you think is going to be on the first power play as the, the QB? I think this year it's going to be Matheson again, personally. Yeah. I think Gooley can swoop in and take that role, but Matheson, I think, will start. I think Gooley has definitely proved his offensive capabilities. I think Matheson will probably start there. Gooley, like you said, could probably make his way up there. Um, but for right now, I'll go with Matheson, and on the second power play, I'll go with Gooley. Okay, and quickly, first line power play forwards, or just lineup. Um, I've got... Okay, so if I, I'm going with Matheson as my power play quarterback, Caulfield probably on that on that left side for the one timer. Nick Suzuki on the right side for that off off the uh excuse me, the uh his his shot there. Mm-hmm. His classic. The right side. Yeah, exactly. Um I'm gonna go with Kirby Doc kind of net front slash down low. And look, I I think it's tough because do you give a guy like Newhook the shot? Ah, I don't know. I think Monahan plays a good bumper. I'm gonna have like pretty much the same thing. I think Dak will be in it. I'm just gonna try to be different. I got Dak in the bumper, Dak in the bu- bumper, and Harvey Pinard in front of the net. Okay, but I, I think Harvey Pinard absolutely de- deserves some power play time. That, there's no doubt about that. I think he just plays. He could play that role really well. Mm-hmm. There was guys like Chiasson who played on at, in front of the net. Just the, those type of guys who are just good in front of the net that uh, you need to have on a power play. But yeah, if that doesn't happen, I think Doc's in front of the net and Monahan's in the bumper. It's a, it's honestly also a question of if this power play improves, right? Like if this power play improves, can Harvey Pinard take advantage, right? Yeah, because exactly. Alex Burrows is going to have to work once again for another season on improving this power play because the weapons keep getting stronger and you know, implementing a guy like Harvey Pinard in front of the net to bang away at those dirty goals is not is not something that you, you know, you don't you you use that to your advantage. Yeah. And you only use it to your advantage if your power play is able to break into the zone and you have a guy that's constantly able to get the puck into the zone. And look, this year Caulfield will be healthy, hopefully, knock on wood. And Kirby Doc will stay healthy, knock on good, knock on wood. And if they stay healthy, you, those are two guys that you can put your trust and faith into. Um. Other than that, though, let's look to second power play. I'm not going to go through it, but does Slavkovsky get in there? Does Newhook get in there for you? Yeah, I've got, I'm not going to say position because I don't really know where everyone's going to be playing, but I assume it's going to be Newhook, Slavkovsky, Anderson, and maybe Hoffman or Gallagher. I'll give that. And, and then, then probably maybe Newhook gets a chance at center there. Yeah, interesting. I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll, we'll see once, uh, you know, training camp comes around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I guess you could say excited nonetheless. Like I, I look between me and you. Well, it's not really between me and you because whoever's listening to this, it's between all of us. But I'm excited for the season. I'm not excited for success because I don't think that's what we're going for next season. I think we can aim to be a little bit more competitive. But the roster is still taking form, so I'm not expecting too much. But hopefully, the guys that need to take strides take strides, and hopefully, the guys that need to play like you know bump up their game a little bit, bump up their game. And we'll see where it goes from there. But again, nonetheless, we, I think we think that, you know, next offseason is, is as important as this offseason was, right? So it's just in, until they're able to find their, find their spot in this Atlantic division. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then finally at that last position, it's obviously going to be Allen and Montembeau. But do you think it's going to be more of a split 
or Allen's still that number one guy? Funny enough, I think it's the opposite. I think Montembeau's the guy next year. Okay. I think Montembeau Montembo had a really, really good good season, all things considered. He had a great um, uh, world championships as well mm-hmm. with Canada. And look, don't get me wrong. I think Allen is great at what he does, but I think it's time for Montembeau, the younger of the two guys, to take you know, take the reins because there's no one taking the reins right now at this point in time. Montreal went and drafted three goalies. They have Jacob Dobies in the system. Caden Primo seems to be on the way out. Wants a, probably wants a shot somewhere else. Like there's there's a spot for the taking, and if Montembeau can grab a hold of that right now, there's no reason why he shouldn't. And look, he might not be the goalie of the future necessarily, but I think he can be the the goalie of the future until he's told otherwise or until someone beats him out of his spot. And I think he deserves the right to take, you know let's say 40 to 50 games next season. And I guess that technically looks more of like a split, but when you're starting 50 games as a goal, you're a starter. Yeah. I was very impressed with Montembeau last season, just based on the the roster we had. His save percentage was actually really, really good. Uh, And yeah, his world championships was absolutely outstanding. He stood on his head for team Canada. And yeah, I could definitely see a world where Montembeau takes that starting role, but I think it's going to be a split because Allen still is that vet guy and I think he is still a very good goalie. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm calling a split here. Perfect. So that wraps up our line projections. We're at around the 37 minute mark. So we went over what we thought again. That's doesn't get more classic than that. But we're going to end it off with a kind of rapid fire segment where we look at over-unders for guys um, for the season. For our projections, I guess. I'm going to ask you the questions. I'll give my answer as well. But stay tuned, guys. This is absolutely going to be on the TikTok. We're going to make a few more. Um, it's growing pretty fast, and we're, we're liking the way it's going. So again, if you made it this far, I thank you for that. And also make sure to check out the TikTok and other socials because we tend to be pretty active. You'll learn a lot. And get you'll, your uh, hockey knowledge up. If, if you guys ever wanted to try and complete the grid, <laughs> let me tell you. Take a look at the TikTok. But anyway... Let's start with these over-unders, Liam. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it off with you, okay? I'm going to run through them. I'll give, my, I'll give my answer at the end, I guess. All right, perfect. Alex Newhook, first season as a Montreal Canadian, over-under 40 points. I'm going to go with... It's rapid fire. I'm going to go over. Let's go over. Over. Awesome. Uri Slavkovsky, over-under 15 goals. Over, 100%. Lock that one in right there. Cole Caulfield, over under 40 goals. I'm going to say over as well. Over. I like the over here. Over. Okay, here we go. Nick Suzuki, over under 75 points. I'll say under here, but I think it is very possible he goes over. I'm saying under though. Under. Switch to the defense. Mike Matheson over under 45 points. I'll go with under again as well. Under 45 points. And lastly, in Nets, Sam Montombo over under a 915 save percentage. If he were the starter. If he were the starter, I, I'll go with under again. Under 915. Well, that concludes the rapid fire over under challenge. You want to do uh, over under Habs wins? Over, so we did this last year. Yeah. I think I came pretty close. I think we said, uh, actually, I think I, I think I went under, I think I went under the amount. Like, I think I said 31. What did they win? Like around 37 or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I mean, it wasn't too far off. Wasn't too far off. Um. Yeah. Why don't I'll I'll shoot you that one too. Over under. Well, how many did they have last year? Let's confirm that. But Let's see right now. But I still have my line nonetheless. Okay. Let's see what they got. Um, I think it was around thirty-eight. I think I can. Oh, it's gone. I should have it here. They, 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 they. Let's see. Well, anyway, I th- I think that they had about around in like mid thirties range. Uh, it had uh thirty. Oh, only thirty one. Okay. They ended up with thirty one. So maybe your line was amazing last season. Yeah, maybe it was amazing. <laughs> maybe maybe I actually hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, but anyway, that's a great line. All right. Okay. So thirty one last season. We're gonna we're gonna make the assumption that they probably improve from fifth to last. Yeah. But by how much is the question? I'm gonna set the line for you, Liam. At 36 and a half wins. Mm. Sorry, 37 and a half. That's a good line. So 37 and a half means 37, oh, anything over 37 or, well, yeah, over under 37, basically. Yeah. I'll go with under. Under. <laughs> so gonna, you're thinking another bottom 10 finish here? I'm thinking another bottom 10 finish, and I'm going to say around 35 wins. But I think that's a good line, honestly. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? I, I think the problem with Montreal is that they, tend to win too many games when you don't want them to. Um, and I think that might be the case next year. I'll take the opposite here. I'll, I'll take the over. I think I could see them. Look, I mean, 40 wins would basically mean about 40 losses. You're almost at 500 there. So you're probably floating around that, you know, that mid middle of the pack range, which I guess would be an incredible improvement based off of the last two years. But I'll probably, I'll, uh, you know what? Yeah, 38 wins seems seems like a good number. For Montreal next year, okay. just under 500. I like that. Well, with that being said, the rapid fire was concluded. We have your answers locked in. We have them on file, Liam. We're going to pull them up if you are completely wrong yeah. or completely right. But that was a lot of fun nonetheless. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Like I said before, make sure to check out the socials. We're very, very active on TikTok primarily. So if you guys are interested in any of any of that contact content or anything in particular that you guys want to see us do, let us know. But other than that, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. See ya.